0: Lord, I just pray that you come into our hearts right now as we go into any time of word or word or listening, Father. Um, we pray that our hearts are laid open and actually you come and convict us and, and even challenge us in some ways. Uh, I pray that our thinking is open to your hand coming and doing something different. Um, and I do pray, Father, that we as a people are always changed by hearing your word. Always challenge, Father, and our week ahead, uh, our lives ahead, do not represent anything of actually before this moment. Um, in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. Following last week's um, pause, for those of you who were here, we had the Holy Spirit come pause us mid-worship, um, and he stopped at the verse in the song-make room. Have we got those words? And I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to, and I will make room for you to do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. And I really wanted to speak to us tonight about making space for God's whatever in our lives. Um, But what does that mean and how can we as elders help you and us to get into that space. So, how much room does God actually want? Good question, Corbis. And how much space should I make in my life? And how do I even begin? Where do we start? And a a seemingly simple question. Tonight, I want to start at a verse... That I think encapsulates the cost of being a disciple, and Johann Johann, 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 Johann had alluded to it in last week's finance teaching, um, and he spoke about um, counting the cost before we build. Um, but actually, and he applied it to finances, and he did. There was a disclaimer that wasn't where it was. Heading, but it could be applied. But actually, that, that very verse is closer to Jesus and weighing in before choosing to be a Jesus disciple. And, and that's the one reason why we're here today. We're not here for good friends, I mean, those are, that's fruit. But ultimately, we're here to be a disciple of Jesus. So, what do you read with me? Luke 14. 25 to 33 Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple For which of you desiring desiring to build a tower who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Out of his lips, not mine. Making room for me, when I read this, means forcing furniture out. It is something of a struggle and requires identification and then weighing carefully. And then laying it down at his feet and allowing him to put to death what needs killing and allowing him to bring back to life what is of value to the kingdom. I have a question for all of us. Where is real life really found? Real life. The life that the Bible talks about, the life that Jesus talks about. And the Bible tells us that we find it in abiding in Christ. The meaning of the word abide or to abide is a verb. It is active. Abiding in Christ is not a feeling or a belief, but something we do. It means to remain or stay and entails far more than just the continued belief or idea That there is a Savior. My take on abiding in today's share will be so, these are the points we're going to look at. To abide is to experience a restful residence and a desperate dependence on Christ. Abiding, it is an all the time verb. Not an occasional verb. Abiding. We are not earning our salvation by abiding in Him. Instead, we are responding to who we are in Him. And that changes how we walk. We are washed clean. John 15. Unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. With winter fast approaching, thank God for the cooler weather. I'm thinking of my friend Yaku Kok in the Swellendam who owns or runs a a dairy in Swellendam, a big farm. With plenty of cows and now heading into winter, winter, all the mud in the world to go with it. And whilst pigs may be made to romp around in the mud, a vine is not supposed to be in the muck. Grapes are not meant to grow in the mud either. They are made to be lifted up on wire or string, um, cables, I think they call it a trellis, um, up and off the ground. Now, I've been guilty of saying, even from this pulpit, um, and here we are, all of us, just crawling around in the mud, trying to find ourselves. But actually, Christians are not meant to be mud dwellers. The biggest reason being that Jesus Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit is definitely not fit for mud dwelling talk. Like a vine, our lives are meant to be lifted up, lifted up from sin, and held in the light, as we are meant to walk in the light. As Christians, we read, we will all have a time of pruning. We read that the vine dresser, or the master gardener, God, will be taking things away, so we can be more fruitful. As Christians on a journey, we need to look Um, forward to tomorrow's fruit rather than just today's reward. It's not about us. Ultimately, he decides at the end of the day. He decides the whens, the wheres, and the hows. He prunes us so we can be on display for and to his glory. So we read now in John where they give us this illustration of a vine with vines growing along. And he presents us with a choice, a choice of abiding or not abiding in him. If we do abide in him, he says our lives will bear fruit. And if we don't, he says our lives are going to be worthless. We will accomplish nothing. Jesus begins by saying that we are already clean by the word he has spoken to us. We are forgiven in Jesus Christ. Say, I am forgiven in Jesus Christ. Identity in Jesus is key to understanding the part about abiding in him. If we just jump to abiding without realizing we are clean, we are going to end up working to try to earn our salvation and His blessing. Many folk have come to Christ. Many. Most of you guys. But many have also come to Him thinking incorrectly about what it is to become a Christian. They have accepted and signed on the dotted line. But they think that our relationship with Jesus is a a do this and then he'll do that. Then a little bit later, I'll do this and he'll then upgrade me a little bit more as a Christian. And then we'll own a little bit more of our salvation. bit like a vehicle installment plan. We hear someone talk about receiving Jesus as our Savior who forgives us our sins. And we pray the prayer of forgiveness and ask him, ask Jesus to come into our hearts. And then we need to understand the truth. That at that moment, we are washed clean. Completely forgiven. Once and for all. When we receive forgiveness, it's not now that I have a little bit more forgiveness, I am cleaner. This thinking is correct. Your and my cleanliness does not come in installments. Forgiveness and cleanliness is a one-time deal. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior... We are made clean. The Bible says righteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We traded our life for Jesus' life. Our sin is given to him, and his righteousness then comes to us. We are not earning cleanliness by abiding in him. Instead, we are Christians responding to who we are. And that changes the what and the how we do life. We are now clean in Christ. Also, we are now clean in Christ. If you are saved, if you are a saved believer in Christ, you are not a sinner who does saintly things every once in a while. You get that? If you're a saved believer in Jesus, you're not a sinner who does saintly things every once in a while. The truth is, you are born again. When we are born again, we are made right with God once and for all. All our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. God doesn't remember them anymore. How do we know this? Psalm 103.12 reads, As far as... The east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. That's how far he's removed our wrongdoings from us. When we become a Christian, we belong to the family of God. And our place as God's child is secure and everlasting. Sorry, I'm speaking to the Armenians and the Calvinists now. Let's not go there. John 1028 to 29. Read with me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Sorry, I'm getting enthusiastic and spraying here my friends. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Amen? Amen? You have been made new. Say, I have, been made new. I have been made new. Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit lives inside you. You are clean. You are now saying to, at times, may sin. And then when we do that, Jesus gives us a way out. Confession leads to clean feet. In John 13, in an encounter with Jesus, he's about to wash the disciples' feet. And after objecting to the idea of Jesus washing his feet, Peter is told he has no choice. He responds and he asks Jesus to cleanse his feet, his head, and his hands. And then in the retelling, Jesus says to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. If you are clean, but not every one of you. We read here uh, a powerful explanation of salvation and our eternal security we who were once and for all washed by the death of Jesus on the cross don't need to be entirely cleansed again. That is, we have no need to be resaved. Rather, we all need to have the incidental day-to-day dust, the dirt of our daily walk washed Our fellowship with Christ is actually impacted by our unconfessed sin. Us who are clean, we refer to as being born again. We've all heard that. We are those who've experienced spiritual cleaning. For us, only the minor foot washing is needed. Now, I don't want to sound like we're busy picking up on hyper grace or too much mercy. As believers in Jesus Christ, our greatest desire should be for us never to sin again. Amen? Amen? We confess and we repent because God wants us to be in continual, intimate relationship with Him. Though nothing can separate us from God's love. We read that in Romans 8. We don't have the verse, Rene. Refusing to admit sin and to change will actually damage the relationship. Just like a refusal to admit you're wrong with your wife or your husband. It ultimately ends up damaging that earthly relationship. Without regular confession and repentance, we are still part of the family of God, but we don't get to enjoy the benefits. Confession is more than a, whoops, my bad. Repentance is more than, I'll try and not do that again. No. True confession is admitting We have sinned against God himself and his holy standard. And true repentance is seeing the destructiveness of sin to our own lives and those around us, as well as to our relationship with God, and then changing the way we think and behave. My wife says, put in 180 degrees. That's what we refer to. We talk to the kids. Turn 180 degrees. Heartfelt confession and repentance takes ownership and responsibility and says, this is my sin, and I will do everything I can to make this area of my life obedient to Christ." 1 John 1, 6-9, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anyone can confess, but a believer changes. If we are in Christ, we have been born again, and what we should really want for is that righteousness. I want to do things to honor you, Lord. Father, I want to know you better. Where's your want? What do you want? I want to recap a story or facts you might know. God is a holy God. Amen. He has never thought about doing anything wrong. He is completely pure. And yet we read in the opening passages of the Bible that he made us in his image, his perfect image. We were made without sin, but then we chose the wrong path. We lied and we sinned. And then we were left with two things. We were left with a holy God and a sinful people. And then what did God do? After quite a while, he sent his son Jesus Christ. But not simply sent but sent to die on a cross for sin so that everyone could be made clean in him. It is not in us, but rather in our relationship with him that we are clean. And that is how we begin our journey. For Christians, the walk of abiding This walk we call sanctification. We do not have to earn our salvation. We do not have to get clean on our own. God has given us cleanliness in Jesus. This is what it means to be a Christian. Forgiveness of sin and Jesus living in our heart. All we have to do is respond and say, Lord, I know I've done wrong things. I want you to come into my heart and make me clean. When that happens, changes start to happen in your life. At the moment, I've been doing quite a few weddings. We're going to... Um, Louise and George's wedding this coming week. And I love the picture of the bride dressed in her clean, beautiful white dress. Did you know in Jesus, we too are dressed white and clean? We are made clean in him. We're not trying to earn a new nature. We've already been given one. From that knowledge and understanding, we then step into abiding. And abiding is connecting to the source. Our prayer from this start should be, Lord, thank you. Because in you I have been made clean. And now I can rest in your love. Amen. Maybe say that to yourself. Lord, thank you because in you I have been made clean. And now I can rest in your love. Amen. Before I came into full-time ministry, I was responsible. One of my responsibilities was for the company's backups. Um, We had redundant servers, Um, replicating storage on-site on our floor and one in the parking basement. And then off-site, starting with another storage system and then a Wi-Fi link to a further location. Up on the slopes of Signal Hill in Seapoint, it had to be above a certain height and it had something to do with tsunamis. Like there's an ISO 9002 standard out there that says you need disaster backup in the case. If you stay in a coastal area, you need to, your backup needs to be above a certain height for tsunamis. And we anyway, we had this external company doing all the monitoring, um, all the backups and reporting to us any problems or issues, as well as all the successful backup runs that were done every night. Um, and after a year... I went out to inspect their off-site facility, and after a very short time, realized there wasn't a link back to our office. They had everything, all the gear you could imagine, all the certificates, all the qualifications, green lights flashing and reports going out on time every day, um, but they had no connection to our servers. Um, You could even see our building from their building. But no connection meant not even one bite was being backed up. (laughs) And I give you this picture because we're talking about our abiding. And you can have everything. But if you're not connected to the service, if you're not connected to Jesus Christ as a Christian, Nothing is going to work. You will begin to find out that life is never going to satisfy you. Because sin can never satisfy. No accomplishment can satisfy. And that's why Jesus extends this invitation. Abide in me and I will abide in you. John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burnt. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To abide is to experience a restful residence and a desperate dependence on Him. We rest in the Lord. We trust in God that He is the vine and we are the branches. We are not the vine, we are the branches. We are just a conduit, a pipeline for His glory and for what He wants to do. It is not our choices that matter, it's his decisions. Last week we sung, I'll make room for you, Lord, come do whatever. Remember? We yield as the vine takes his glory to the fruit. We are just the branch that it comes through. We are desperately dependent on him and restfully resident in him. Remembering that he has made us clean. I'm repeating myself so this sticks. (laughs) Reading carefully in John 15, we are not encouraged to bear fruit. Did you read that? But to instead abide. Abide if we abide in Christ, desperately dependent on Him, restfully residing in Him, then the fruit will take care of itself. If we focus on bearing fruit, we will not and cannot abide in Christ. We may die trying to bear fruit, some of us, and we won't get to know Jesus any better in the process. It is in abiding that we find out who we are in him. If I abide, I walk with Christ and I honor God. I live restfully, resident in him. Desperately dependent on him. This at the end of the day, will make me a better husband, father, friend, pastor, or whatever it is I do. I'll be made clean. I'm attached to the vine. And he is just coming through me to bear the fruit. Your identity now that you are born again, is that you are a son or daughter of God by being a believer in Christ. On top or alongside that identity, we have roles. So we have identity and we have roles, separate. Your roles can be, you can be a spouse, a father, mother, son, daughter, grandparent, an employee or employer, friend. But if your whole identity is wrapped up around your work, when you retire, you will not know what to do with yourself because your role has become your identity. Everyone has started calling me Captain Jap Sparrow, and I love it. But my real job is pastoring, and I really love that too. But there will be a day when I will not pastor people. I know very well that my identity is that I am a son or a child of God through my faith in Christ. On the other hand, I know that my role is that I am the pastor of a church. You see the difference. If I get to where I think my identity is being the pastor, I'm going to miss out on my true identity in Christ. My identity in Jesus keeps my role as a pastor in the right place. Our identity of a child of God makes us a different kind of person as we walk out that role. Whatever that role might be for you, it's different for each of us. We tend to mix up our roles and our identity because we seek to achieve rather than abide. We lift up our role because we don't understand our identity. Then when our time comes to an end, like when I left my secular job of 25 years, jobs can become identities. Somebody else comes along, takes a seat in your office, ends up doing a job so much better than you did, joins your ministry team and is exceedingly gifted, and surpasses everyone. If we are built with the wrong understanding of roles versus identity, we could find ourselves left without a sense of identity. Have you ever found yourself saying, I discovered that I didn't feel worth anything, certainly not worthy, unless I was accomplishing something? It's a lie. Jesus wants you to be loved just for being. Never for your achievements. Have you ever said or perhaps felt at any point, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre? And that is always pushing me to do something better. I still need to prove that I am somebody. Lies of the enemy. Again, Jesus wants you to feel love for just being and never for your achievements. When we do not understand our identity, we will not truly understand our role. I want to help you today. John 1 verse 12. But to all who have received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that beautiful? And then as children of God, Jesus then calls us to abide in him, and then we'll bear fruit. Back to John 15, 3 to 5. I'm hammering this a little bit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does abiding look like when it's done effectively? Surely there must be fruit. I want to say not all the time. Maybe not for now. Sometimes you don't get to witness the product of abiding. But don't lose hope. I want to encourage you and say, continue earnestly. It could be about a job interview or situation, a big test, moving house, or simply just around how your day looks. I'm talking about an example now. So as a parent, I'll take myself and Tracy as an example. Um, We could wake up in the morning and a whole day could be about rushing. Getting Alex up, getting Dave's shoes on, food sorted for both boys, washing on, washing machine on, making sure they get to their school and their next activities throughout the day. All my appointments, all Tracy's appointments, all on time. Or our day can be about nurturing, about growing boys who love Jesus when they realize that their parents love Jesus and he loves them too. Slowing things down, teaching to pray for thankfulness for yesterday, always before praying for our day ahead's needs. I've witnessed Tracy praying over each family member as she folds their clothes. Tracy is always keen, despite the time or how late we are, she's always keen to slow things down and address heart attitudes, always putting attitudes and our responses as a priority. Also, at the end of the day, we as parents are able to say to our boys, these are the kinds of trophies we get in this family. Trophies of character, not trophies of accomplishments at all costs. I've come into his arms personally with regards to my health and my cancer journey. There is no fear or anxiety anymore. I have submitted my secular work and my income at his feet. There is no fear and anxiety. I submit my marriage and my parenting to him. The other night at our deacons' and elders' time, I submitted the leading of the church, you guys, to him again. I continually ask him to come and have a look at my heart and my desires and take from me, what is not in His will. That is what experience restful residence and desperate dependence in Christ looks like. So, another recap. Understand that you are clean, that you belong to Him, and you are not the vine. You don't have to be worried about the fruit. You are the branch. The fruit will take care of itself. If you abide in Christ, then the fruit will come. If you understand your identity, you will get to walk further in your roles. Make a choice. Will you abide in Christ or not? If we do not abide in Him, We are like that system that had all the potential in the world, but at the end of the day wasn't connected to the source. Nothing of eternal value will be achieved in your lives. You may feel like you are ruling over the world, but when you die, it will be over. You will not have an eternal legacy. 1 Corinthians 311 to 15. For no one can lay the foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Everyone's work will be tested by fire. There will be a judgment day. And we will stand before the throne and everything we have accomplished in life will be tested. If we do not abide in Christ, like a puff of air, it will all be gone. If I'm not abiding in Jesus, I am not passing down eternal things. I will accomplish nothing. True achievement only comes From true abiding, I'm going to rest in my identity in order to fulfill my roles. You want to say that? I'm going to rest in my identity in order to fulfill my roles so that we can accomplish great things for the kingdom of God. I want the blessings of eternal things not just temporary things. You want to say that? I want the blessings of eternal things, not just temporary things. This eternal fruit will come through abiding. And as we love Jesus, as we rest in him and depend on him, we will achieve great things in his name. Amen? Can I ask you, Can we sing that song again, that we sung, sung, song, sang, last Sunday, and the team come up, and I want you to, just before we start, just weigh, weigh right now, in your heart, like... We, we mentioned it last week. When we sing a song, are we just singing the words? Or are we taking ownership? Are we taking stock? In, at the end of the day, in that day when there is a fire in judgment, you know you're going to be held to account to your knowledge. Unfortunately, or fortunately, hopefully, you are now unknowledged up <laughs> or wised up. You now know that you have to abide if you choose him as your Lord and Savior. If you want to bear his fruit. If you want eternal things. So when we say, Lord, I'll make space for you to come do your whatever. Know what you're saying. It's it's not your whatever. It's his whatever. Take a look back at some of the guys in history. You wanna be a Joseph? You wanna be a Job. You wanna be a Jonah. His whatever is sometimes far more the bigger man or woman in the Old Testament could ever carry, but for Jesus Christ, but for the Holy Spirit you've been given. And now he tells us we can accomplish so much more than he did when he was here, because we have that. Are you bold enough? as a Christian, to stand and sing that song with me truly to him. Don't sing it to me. Don't sing it to the person next to you. But you, you're praising him. We praised his name beautifully. We entered into the throne room, and now we're going to sing. We're making space for you to come do your whatever. What if he sends you to Nineveh? Those of you who don't know the story, go read it. Jonah and the big fish. What happens if he sends you to where you don't want to go? With everything in you. You see, these guys also said, Lord, whatever. Use me. And he was a a God back then who spoke in a loud voice, destroyed whole cities. (laughs) Now he gives you the Holy Spirit to make those decisions as your counselor. Just where you are now, take stock of that. you, okay, let's start with two people. If you have never received the Lord into your life, if you have never said, Jesus, come and be Lord of my life. And he's speaking to you now to come into him, knowing fully what that journey is going to cost. It's going to cost your everything for his whatever. If you've never done that, i ask you to raise your hand. I'd love to pray with you. Celeste. All of us now know Him and now know what it is to abide. Can we all stand?